morning, everybody. Uh, it's good to be with you this morning. Uh, my name's Sean Salata. I'm on staff with the church. And, um, okay, everybody, we can all together take a deep breath. We made it through Christmas. Well done, everyone. Well done. So we, we made it through Christmas, um, and now we're, we're looking forward to the new year. And um, I think it's, it's an interesting holiday. It's an interesting season because uh, we're, we're caught up in this tension of reflecting on the past um, and looking forward to the future. Uh, and I think as with most tensions, uh, we really can find ourselves sort of leaning one way uh, or the other and, and really kind of focusing on that. So I want to kind of share what I mean. Uh, so this year, my parents just sold uh, the house that I grew up in in Columbus. Um, they've lived in Florida for the past few years. Uh, they've been renting the house, and you know the time was kind of right for them to, to get rid of it. Well, um, we all gather uh, in Columbus for Christmas Eve, and so my dad was saying, "Hey, you know, we should take one last opportunity to kind of walk through the house and you know look around and, and just see what there is to see uh, before before we sell it." Um, and I was really excited about this. Like, yes, this is exactly what we need to do. Um, my wife, on the other hand, is kind of like, okay, so you want, you want to walk through an empty house that looks completely different than it did when you lived? Like, okay, I guess we can do that. Um, not to speak of my mom, who totally declined to join us on this grand adventure, which I, boggles my mind. Uh, but I'm like, yeah, this sounds exciting to me. You know, I want to see the, the places that I like threw toys from the second story loft. You know, I want to see uh, the yard where I ran around with my friends. I want to be in the, the bedroom where I hung out with my dad while he was getting ready for work. Like, I want to see the, the sights and, and remember the, you know, the, the sounds and the memories of what it was like to grow up in this house. Um, and again, Jesse's kind of like, yeah, okay, you know, I'll come, I'll come with you if you want. Um, so, so we get there. I, I've successfully dragged someone along on this grand adventure that I'm very excited about. Um, and I was planning to take some pictures, you know, because I need to get some pictures of the blank walls that don't look the way that they did when I lived there. So I can remember them, I guess. I don't know. Um, but it turns out they had already taken some pictures because they had open houses. So there were these, like, nice open house packets sitting on the, on the counter. So you know that I had to grab one of those to remember for all time. And, and some of you guys now are like, yeah, 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 I totally get it. This is exactly what I would do. And other people are like, yeah, I'm convinced that you have some sort of like mountain of crap back at your house that one day is going to like smother you to death. Um, so anyway, I grabbed, I grabbed a packet of pictures, uh, but there was one picture that they didn't get, um, and it should come up behind me. And you're like, what is it? It's a hole in the wall, and not just any hole in the wall. Let me tell you a story. So um, my dad set up internet for me um, at the, the desk. We had this like shared computer room, right? Um, and so he and I together, um, we drilled a hole in the, in the floor and ran the, the internet through the basement and up through the wall, which is a total pain in the butt if you've never done it before. Basically, you got one guy with a wire like this, and you've got another guy digging a coat hanger in the wall. Like, if you're a professional, it's probably like something else. There's probably a tool that they make to do that, but for us, it's a coat hanger that you're digging in the wall, and then you and then you pull it through. So that was really cool. I enjoyed being with my family, but as I got a little older, my bedroom moved down to the basement, and the computer for homework was upstairs, but the video games were downstairs. And so sometimes I needed to move the internet 
downstairs. And uh, it seemed easy to me, like, yeah, okay, I'll just pull this wire out of the wall that took us a whole day to get there, and then when I'm done, I by myself will put it back, and it'll be super easy, and it won't be a problem at all. Um, and I remember not once, but on several occasions, my dad worked like second shift, so he'd get back at like 11 or 12 at night, and I would be frantically like digging in the wall, trying to get this cable through here. And he, you know, patron saint of patience, rather than like eating or going to bed after a long day of work, uh, he would spend some time with me and he would go in the basement and we would fish the cable through the wall. So as you listen to this inane story, um, you are kind of identifying with one or the other group of people, right? Either you're like, yeah, this is, this is me. Like, I love all these memories. This is exactly how I am. You know, I, I love thinking about the past. Or, you know, you're kind of with, uh, with my mom and, and with Jesse and kind of thinking like, well, this is fine, but, you know, really I'm more focused on like the present and the future. Um, and I think, again, this is a tension that, that we can recognize. And I think actually the Bible kind of addresses this tension. And so um, what we're going to talk about this morning is how do we reflect biblically? You know, what does reflection have to do with our Christian life? And what we're going to find out is that um, biblical reflection causes us to grow toward Christ, not to grasp toward comfort. So we're going to take a minute, uh, we're going to pray, and then we're going to jump into scripture. So Father, thank you uh, just that, that you've given us your word to teach us. Um, thank you that uh, you, you love us, you care about us, and because of that, um, you, you haven't left us uh, to fend for ourselves. You've given us um, just your, your word to teach us about yourself, um, to show us uh, how we can draw close to you, um, through your son and, and how we can live in relationship with you. Just pray that you would uh, bless our time together and that we would be changed to be more like you. Uh, it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so the first thing I think to acknowledge as we're thinking about the Bible, we're thinking about reflection, uh, is that the Bible teaches through reflection. Um, that is, a lot of what God presents to his people comes like in the form of history. It comes in the form of reflecting on the past. The first 14 books of the Bible are history. You know, so we're, we're learning about God. Uh, we're learning about life uh, in this world in the context of the history of Israel. You know, God encouraged his people, the Israelites, to, uh, to learn by reflecting on the past. And he encourages us um, through reading the Bible to reflect on the past in order to learn. Uh, there's this sort of like hallmark thing in the, in the history of the Israelites that God goes back to over and over again. He reflects on, he encourages his people to reflect on, and that is the exodus from Egypt. Over and over in the Bible, you'll see God, like, remember how I saved you out of slavery, how I saved you with all these mighty works. You guys probably know the story, you know, that, that God appeared to Moses. He said, hey, you're going to lead uh, my people out of Egypt um, and Pharaoh's going to tell you no, and Pharaoh says no. And so God uses these 10 mighty works, these acts of judgment, and he leads the people out of Egypt. It culminates in the people of Israel crossing over the sea on dry ground and the, and the Egyptians being swept away. And this is a sort of like hallmark event that God points back to again and again and says, hey, remember, remember um, what I did for you. Remember how much I love you. Remember that I saved you. Um, and this is happening constantly throughout the Old Testament. So we're going to look at a chunk of scripture in Deuteronomy 4. It's not talking about the Exodus, but it's talking about another event in Israel's past. And what Moses is going to do is he's going to say, hey, remember how this happened? And then he's going to teach them something about God from it. So uh, we'll look at Deuteronomy 4. It's verses 9 through 18. 
Um, and this actually happens all throughout the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is one great big reflection. They're standing on the edge of the promised land, and Moses is reminding them, man, remember when this happened, remember when that happened, and, and follow God as you're about to take the land that he's promised you. So we're going to jump in together, and it's going to talk about how the people got the Ten Commandments. So Moses starts in verse 9. He says, only take care. Keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. So first, Moses tells the people, he says, hey, don't forget the things that you've seen, God's provision for you. Um, and he gives a reason. He says, because if you forget them, then the, the affection for God that's in your heart will also go away. He makes this connection between remembering the works of God and the affection that we have for God. Um, so reminding ourselves of the Bible, um, reminding ourselves of God's mighty works, passing those things along you know, to our family, to our kids, to our, our friends, people we know, um, is going to engender that, um, that affection for God as well. Those, those things are, are connected. Um, as our heart is full of the works of God, our heart also will be full with affection for God. So next, Moses goes on to do just what he says. He's going to recount this story. He, the story from Exodus, the book of Exodus, you can find it there too, about how he appeared to them on Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai and gave the Ten Commandments. So he picks up in verse 10. He says, How on that day that you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, Gather the people to me, that I may let them hear my words so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth, and that they may teach their children so. And you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain, while the mountain burned with fire to the heart of heaven, wrapped in darkness, cloud, and gloom. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of words, but saw no form. There was only a voice. And he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform, that is, the Ten Commandments. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone. And the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and rules that you might do them in the land that you were going over to possess. And I just want to stop here um, and point out how real God is to them. He's not telling them about something that they didn't experience. He's reminding them, hey, remember when you were there and this happened. Look at all the like, eyewitness words in this section. You know, they, they stood at the mountain. They saw the mountain covered in smoke. They heard the words of God. Again, they were, they were there. And if you have a relationship with God this morning, you can find these same stories in your own life where God is present. You know, I want you to think back to the circumstances that led you to put your trust in Jesus in the first place. Uh, remember when you felt that need that like, could not be filled by anything else. Remember when serving yourself and kind of feeding your own appetites like, lost the appeal that it once had. Remember when you made that connection that like those people that you know that are so full of life, they're that way because of a relationship with Jesus that has changed them, that has given them life. Remember that moment when grace like clicked for you and, and you realized that, that God gave his son to a, a gift that you could never ask him to give in order to, to cover your sin, this sort of this debt that you like just realized that you had and, and could never pay. Man, God is present in your life. Think back on that. Remember that God is present in your life. And if you're here this morning and that sounds like totally foreign or contrived to you, I would just challenge you to ask around because what you'll find is story after story of people who have had an encounter with the living God. So getting back to the text then, Moses takes this reflection on their history 
you know, he tells this story and draws truth out of it. So in verse 15, he says, therefore watch yourselves very carefully because, because of this story, because this has happened to you. Since you saw no form on the day that the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the midst of the fire, beware lest you act corruptly by making a carved image for yourselves in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any animal that's on the earth, the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, the likeness of any fish that's in the water under the earth. So this idea of worshiping carved statues representing gods, idolatry, uh, was one of the most prevalent sins in biblical times. And Moses uses their history to remind them of the truth. You know, he says, remember, when you encountered God, remember how there wasn't anything to see to make a statue out of? Well, what do you think I'm going to tell you? Don't make a statue, right? So we can see from just one example from the Old Testament that this biblical reflection that we do causes us to learn and to grow. We grow in our knowledge about God and our affection toward God. They're both present in this example in Deuteronomy 4. But earlier we were talking about a tension between reflecting on the past and embracing the future, right? What happened? What happened there? So, in fact, there's a really well-known verse uh, in the scripture that seems to indicate I shouldn't really care about the past at all. Uh, so we're going we're gonna to jump in there at uh, Philippians 3, 13 and 14 and see what Paul has to say about it. So here, here's what he says. He says, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Huh. I mean, he literally, he literally says, forget what lies behind and strain forward to what's ahead, right? It kind of sounds like it undoes all the work we just did, uh, what we just talked about. So we'll, we'll grab a little more context and see if that's the case. Um, if we jump back to verses four through nine, here's what Paul says right before he drops that line. He says, though... I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, talking about his own works, the stuff that he's done. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. So, can you tell what Paul's doing here? He's actually reflecting on his past, right? Just like Moses reflects on the history of the Israelites, Paul reflects on his former identity as a zealous Jew, uh, totally reliant in his own righteousness to get him to God. So if Paul's drawing from his own history, like clearly he doesn't mean that we should forget about everything that's happened in the past. So what is he talking about? Why does he say what he says? He's saying that he's not relying on his past to save him, right? So he acknowledges his past, but he's trusting in Jesus for that. He's trusting in Jesus to be saved. To add a little more context, Paul's actually refuting a group of people who are saying that in addition to following Jesus, you needed to keep the Old Testament laws, and you needed to both follow those perfectly and have Jesus in order to be good with God. We talked about this earlier in our greater series. You know, what we've discovered is that Jesus plus nothing equals greatness, and, and Paul is kind of driving the same point here. So really, 
these legalists, these people who are saying that you need the law and you need Jesus, really were clinging to the traditions of the past and not Jesus at all. Um, rather than admitting that they're unable to please God by themselves and kind of relinquishing control to him, trusting in something or someone uh, outside of their control, instead they turn back to what they know. They turn back to trying to follow rules, uh, trying to look good to others around them because that's what's comfortable. So Paul's words in verse 13, you know, forget what lies behind, strive forward to what lies ahead, actually add to what we know so far about biblical reflection. Biblical reflection should specifically push us toward Jesus. You know, it, it's, it, it's not just living in the, the glory days of the past, but it, it's striving forward toward Jesus. The legalist Paul was refuting were using the past like purely as a means to be comfortable and powerful. Um, but, but we learn from the past and uh, strive forward in the future that way. And it's not just like, this is a pet peeve of mine, like maybe other people don't feel this way, but it's not just the future for the future's sake. It's not just change for change's sake. Um, it's, it's change and, and moving toward the future that, that strives toward the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, according to Paul. That's Paul's words. He's not saying to neglect the past entirely, but that in the past, in, in the final analysis, should push us toward Jesus and not toward self-indulgence. So let me see if I can give you a, another, another story. It's a story that um, a guy named Tom Rayner tells um, in his book, uh, Who Moved My Pulpit? So I'm pretty sure this is not the guy's real name, but this guy named Pastor Derek um, had been leading his church for like eight years or so. And, um, you know, he was trying to lead them in some sort of incremental changes to make them, you know, more healthy, to make them more effective at reaching people for the gospel. And so, you know, he makes all these changes. And one of the things that he decides he needs to change is his preaching style. Uh, he describes that he uh, was more of a formal preacher and uh, changed his style to a more conversational style. Now, I don't really know what any of those things mean. Like, you know, maybe he sat on a, school, uh, on a stool and like, you know, turned his hat backwards or something. I, I don't really know. But anyway, he, he decided he needed to make this change. So that's what he did. Um, and as he made this change, another thing that he felt needed to go was his old traditional pulpit. So, you know, pulpit, right? It, it's kind of like a big wooden music stand. Yeah, and so he decided that he needed to get rid of his big pulpit and switch it out with something a little more sleek, like maybe a music stand. So anyway, he does this, um, and, and he thinks, no big deal, I'm going to make this change, it's going to be super chill. Um, he walks in, he, he does this, the people see it, and they just lose their mind. You know, the, the phone's off the hook, they're, they're writing emails, you know, you're a heretic, you know, you, we need to fire you, like you're the worst pastor ever. It's like, whoa, seriously? So he acknowledges like, hey, maybe I didn't even need to do this in the first place, maybe this is not that big of a deal, and like I could have preached informally from my big pulpit, like whatever. So he's prepared to come in and kind of like, you know, make a little apology and sort of course correct and all this stuff. And so the next Sunday after pulpit gate, he comes in, and finds that somebody had moved the old pulpit right back to its spot. Super petty, right? Super petty. But we, we see in this example that whoever, whoever made this decision to like move the old pulpit back is not making this decision seemingly out of a desire to like honor Jesus or even like love the other people around them. They're making this decision out of this place that says, this is the way that it's always been. This is the way that I'm comfortable. And so this is what we're going to continue to do. 
this is the kind of biblical reflection that we're not looking for, right? <laughs> um, and, and so the, the decisions that we make when, when we decide to reflect, you know, we're not supposed to invoke the past just purely to comfort ourselves. And if we look back to our previous example in the Old Testament, we see the same thing at work too. It's not like a carte blanche on, um, on looking toward the past because not all the Israelites' history is to be embraced. Uh, if you look, there are a couple places in the Old Testament where the people are warned, hey, don't go back to Egypt. Uh, there's a spot in Deuteronomy, later in Deuteronomy, where he says, hey, when you guys are a really sweet kingdom and you have a king and you're rich, don't go get horses from Egypt, don't go get riches from Egypt, don't marry people from Egypt, don't go back there. Um, there's another time way later in history where um, Israel is about to be taken over by another empire, and they're like, hey, uh, maybe we should get some help from Egypt. And the prophet's like, no, don't do that. I swear, if you do that, it's not going to go well for you. You guys are, are going to get uh, defeated and carted off to another country. And they do, and they do. Um, but anyway, he tells them, don't go back to Egypt, which maybe to us seems crazy. It's like, hey, now, wait a minute. Um, they were slaves in Egypt, right? Like, why would they want to go back there? But think about it. Egypt, for a long time, was home for them. Um, they knew Egypt. And frankly, you know, before, they were under the protection of one of the most powerful nations in the world. Now, they have to jump out on faith and trust that God is going to do what he says he's going to do and make them into a mighty nation, all of a sudden, it could be real tempting to go back to Egypt. But we see that biblical reflection is not for our comfort necessarily. It's not for, for us to just live in the past. It's comfortable. It's for us to strive forward toward Jesus. And so this is, this is all fun and games, right? You know, we, we've kind of unpacked this, this neat little thing. But what, how do we actually do something with it? How does this actually be part of our lives? Is this something we even need to care about? I've got, got three things for you. So first off, um, praise God for the good and the bad of this past year. Um, because biblical reflection is a thing that we can do um, in relationship with God, we're able to praise God for the, the good and the bad uh, that we've had in 2018. You know, and so I would challenge you, like, reflect and identify specific places where you've seen God show up. Um, and this is, this is actually really tough for me, if I'm being honest. I was preparing for the sermon, and I was spending some quiet time with the Lord trying to, you know, kind of practice these things. And man, 2018 was kind of a blur. It's like, I don't know. I just, I woke up, and here we are, December 30th. I don't, I don't know. But really, as, as I took some time and worked hard and thought back, it's like, man, God has showed up again and again and again and again in like little tiny ways, in like huge unimaginable ways. And, and I have confidence that um, if we spend some time thinking about that, um, that, that we'll be able to see the ways that God has moved through this past year. So, and I mentioned praying, uh, thanking him for the, the bad things as well. Um, and I think that's probably pretty easy for me to say from up here, not knowing some of the stuff that, that you guys have, have been through, but you know, what I would say is that God says in his word um, that there's coming a day where he will make all things new. And so I don't know uh, where you've been this past year, but I can say in confidence that um, there's coming a day where God will right every wrong. And that is something that you can have faith in um, as you're working through hardships. So first, praise God for the good and the bad of this past year. Second, entrust your, your past and your future 
to Jesus. He says in the book of Revelation that he's the beginning and the end. Everything is under his authority. If that's true, like, we don't need to stress. Like, we don't need to lament because we feel like we screwed up 2018. You know, we don't need to be super, super stressed about, like, our, our three-point plan to make 2019 the best year ever. Like, it's, it's not on us. We are not the end-all, be-all. Jesus is the end-all, be-all. He's the beginning and the end, not us. So Paul gives us a good example, right, when we were talking about him before. So he strives with all his might, right, in, in Philippians 3. But he doesn't put his faith in Paul. He puts his faith in Jesus. And we can do that, that same thing. And finally, if you've never entrusted yourself to Jesus, today is a great day to start. People were made by God for relationship. And, and we've run away from, from that relationship through trying to kind of do things our way. But like I said before, God paid a price we could never ask him to pay, to pay a debt that we could never settle by ourselves. And, and he did that so we could be back in relationship with him. We could be under his good rule. And if you accept Jesus' sacrifice and turn from that self-rule toward his loving rule, then you can know that your eternity is safe with God in 2019. And third and finally, make it about Jesus. Like we've been saying it's a, it's a backwards thing, it's a forwards thing. So whether you're reflecting, whether you're making plans, connect those to Jesus. Whether you're like resolution kind of people or whether you're just like, hey, new year, new life, this is great. Um, can you connect your goals, can you connect your outlook to God, to becoming you know, more like him, to sharing the gospel to the ends of the earth? And so we're able to praise God for the good and the bad, we're able to entrust our past and our future to Jesus, and we are able to make it all about Jesus. And so that's what I got for you. I love you guys. I hope the, the last uh, hours of 2019 are full of meaningful biblical reflection. And I'm excited to see what God has for us in 2019. So let's pray as the band comes back up.